0: All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Elijah Thane Podcast. Today, we have Kara Countryman. She is the founder of Roman Field Enterprise Consulting. She's been working with entrepreneurs and small businesses for over 20 years. She's an expert at project management and finances. She helps people create strategies around ideas. She helps people create doable strategies for achievable goals. She project, does project management, business, marketing, sales strategy, finance, helps people write business plans, and does creating investor packages for small businesses. So the first question is, what attracted you to business in the first place?
1: I I think my undergraduate degree, interestingly enough, is in advocacy, anthropology, and I have a minor in social inequalities. And so I think my focus in that was um, around poverty and poverty remediation and so i i have found that people if they if they can get the information that they need in order to start a small business and start their own thing they have lots of ideas and the, the world needs right and the world um, wants it's just a matter of having the information and it if they can get that information they tend to do better um than than just kind of being in the grind um in a job that doesn't necessarily provide stability or um or the security that they that they need i mean that's humans in general i would say but yeah
0: um, so you said that was anthropology what was that again Is advocacy anthropology. Advocacy anthropology. And so what exactly is advocacy anthropology? I'm sorry, I don't think I've ever heard of that before.
1: (laughs) Advocacy anthropology. So anthropology is the study of of humans and culture, right? Okay. Um, Advocacy anthropology is about the study of culture and humans around advocating for different causes. A lot of advocacy anthropology is kind of focused around current social structures and how they can be better Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) or how you can, you, people can access things that they need, um, through, you know, churches or whatever. A lot of it is like homelessness or, um, or, um, you know, social inequalities, uh, things like that. So, that's basically it.
0: So so then what was it in the, those classes that made you realize that um, you wanted to go into business and that you wanted to help people out? Like, was there something in specific that caught your attention?
1: No, it's funny because when I started, so I grew up very poor. And um, when so when I went to college, I was a single mom. I was a very young single mom. Um, and, but I was very driven and so I wanted to have a better life for myself and my child. Um, so I went to college and when I first started in college, I was getting a physics degree. I was like, no, I'm gonna do science cause it's fun and it's cool. Um, and then I changed it to geology because I figured out that with physics, I would have to be taking like 24 hours every semester. And because I was a single mom and I had to work a job, I just didn't have the time. So I changed it to geology, but then I discovered that um, I was going to have to work in oil pretty much in order to have a career um, in geology. And I was like, oh, I mean, that just felt so gross. And so I was like, no. Um, And so I took a year where I just took a bunch of classes. Random classes that I might be interested in and anthropology was one of them Um, And so I got into it that way. And so while I was in my undergraduate degree I was connected with this um, other program where a friend of mine actually had gotten a fellowship and she was Creating an entrepreneurial program for underage mothers and so she had asked me to come in and do a financial class on small business finance and so that's kind of where it started is that my background um, along with kind of having a lot of science and math classes prior to that um, and having an understanding of money and how and economics and how it affects people's lives and so being able to go in and help them um, figure out how to do a business budget, how to do, which also kind of encompassed their own personal budget. And so finances where I kind of got into it, um, beginning. And that was, you know, over 20 years ago, if I'm aging myself.
0: (laughs) So, so were were you teaching the class or were you taking the finance class or? I
1: created it and I taught it. So, um, I was teaching because at the time I was not underage, um, but I was very interested, of course, because I had experienced something similar. Um, I was interested in helping them grow and have all the tools that they needed in order to be successful. And it was a good program. I mean, it was teaching them how to create soaps and bath bombs and um, salts and things that they could do with their house and um, jewelry, things like that, so that they could still spend time with their children. The idea of the program was to keep them in the home, but also able to work. So
0: it was nice. And so, Where did you get those ideas at the very beginning for the finance, for like your layout of what you would teach them? Where would you get that information from?
1: I just... um, It was... I mean, a lot of it was from my own experiences, having mm-hmm. to budget very carefully. Uh, while I was in college, I was a waitress and so money was tight and I was a single mom. And so I was having to kind of make magic happen with, with my money. And so that interested me on that, on that note, I remember when I was growing up too. my mother was terrible with money. Money Mm -hmm. is very emotional. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of anytime somebody is teaching about money, they talk about, especially like the money mindset thing is really popular key term these days. But basically what that means is um, that, like not to be in scarcity mode and and all these things, but additionally, I think sometimes what money mindset coaches tend to forget about is the emotional part of it. So there's always emotions, which is exactly what marketing taps into, right? They tell you that, if you drink Coca-Cola at Christmas, then it brings about all of this love and joy and, you know, it taps into your emotions um, that have literally nothing to do with that product. But it's because money, most people... I, I find that the the emotions that most people have about money is shame, um, fear, and, um, and, and so having to help people kind of through that is <clears throat> it's a challenge and then behavior modification so there's and all of that factors into into uh, emotional emotional pieces to it and so i think those those things are new uh, maybe intuitively and so being able to teach that piece as well as the budgeting piece that i had learned kind of through my own experiences that these and where where resources were and and all of that was key i guess to Mm -hmm. me creating it i guess that's where the information came from
0: yeah that makes it so what is what would the behavior modification be
1: So behavior modification, if you want to, for example, say you want to save more money and you can't save money, um, money is very tight. You you know, you're looking at your budget and you're like, I don't have enough to pay my bills. How am I ever going to save? Well, the truth of that, especially I think in the United States is that, you know, we always find something to spend money on that, um, whether it be, You know groceries or something like that so what with behavior modification what you would do is there's different ways to kind of trick your brain into achieving a goal a financial goal any goal really that you Mm -hmm. have um but finance specifically because like i said it has so much emotion wrapped up in it um and that would be so you can you can Take one dollar, if you take one dollar out of your grocery bill and you you drive it to the bank and you put it into a savings account and you do that on Friday at ten o'clock every single week. And you just take that one dollar or every single month, you know, maybe the first Friday or whatever, you take that one dollar and you put it in there it's not a lot of money at the time and it doesn't hurt or freak people out to put that money in there. But what it does is it builds a behavior around you going to the bank and you putting money into that account once a week. Um, and so for me, what I do, cause I, you know, I struggle with, with wanting to buy things and, you know, go traveling and, things like that too. So I will, I have a, what I call a sneaky savings account. And so I have money that's pulled from one account to the other kind of behind my back when I'm not looking into an account that I don't really have a lot of access to. And so if I can't see it (laughs) or I can't access it, (laughs) then it's a whole lot easier for me to forget that it's there And to have that money just transferred automatically, and so you know, of course, I'll see the transfer, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, today's the third Friday or whatever." Um, But, but there's ways to trick your brain into creating a behavior that doesn't hurt or pinch. Another piece to finance that I think is really important for anyone to to be really careful about when they're talking to coaches or um, banks or or you know, even money mindset people, even though I am a an advocate for that um, kind mm-hmm. of movement, is that value spending is really important. So if you're not if you mapping out what your values are and what you want to spend and and ranking them value one, value two, mm-hmm. value three, um, if you don't have that and you don't have something that you spend your money on, even if it's even if you don't have money, right? Um, it's a weird dynamic, how it works in the brain, but, um, it's, it's from the same research as addiction. And so, because spending money releases the same endorphins that addictions, it releases when you get whatever it is, not maybe not use it, but, but have it in your hand, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: and so spending money on your values is really important. And it, it interestingly enough curbs your impulse shopping behavior. So, those types of things help with people reaching their financial goals. And in business, it's important because in business, <clears throat> I find that people are very creative. Entrepreneurs are incredibly creative and they want to continue to grow they have big ideas all of those things are amazing um but being able to achieve them is really important and so having your mission statement and so when you're like oh i need a new computer is that part of the mission is it going to help you reach your mission goals um i think helps people gives them some grounding to it and then they're like yes it does and so then they spend a high dollar ticket a high ticket item um they have less anxiety about it, and they actually feel good about the purchase, knowing that it's going to bring them money into their business, and that helps curb that shame, curb that fear, um, and and reinforces feeling good, spending money in a good way. So,
0: it, it sounds like that all gives them like confidence and security about uh, um, what it is that they're doing, yeah. as opposed to just kind of like. Oh man, I might be making the wrong mistake. I might be spending this on the wrong thing. And but yeah. whenever they lay out their values, they're probably going to be more like, "Okay, I I know what I know what matters, and I know what doesn't." Um, I wanted to go back to uh, like the money in the savings account. Uh-huh. And um, like with the purpose of of the money in the savings account and the money, like, oh, I don't even you know, like I, the money's out of sight, out of mind. Is that just to keep? The money away from the hands of the impulsive spender is that the the target behind that strategy um is to like add think, a barrier to entry or something to
1: <laughs> it does it adds a barrier to entry and it's not even just impulse spending it's because if you know the money is there and you know how much i think in the back of my mind personally i know the money is there but i don't necessarily know how much it is so if i have an emergency say i'm say i'm saving that money for travel Mm -hmm. right um or or even if it's let's go back because an emergency fund is really more important so if you're saving that money for an emergency lots of things feel like an emergency but if you don't know how much is in there you kind of the number isn't in your mind. So, you know, you have money on the side somewhere in like the ethers, but it's not really, if the number is not in your mind, then you're not a, well, it's less likely that you associate it with, oh, I have an emergency. I need to buy new tires um, for my car. So I'm going to spend my emergency fund when really, the tires are really important but if that money wasn't there you would probably figure out another way to get those tires so or you might get you know used tires or something like that um but if you know the money is there you're going to spend it if you know the dollar amount and then and also having kind of the barrier to entry and making it where you have to go into the bank you know, and get the money from a teller, you know, all that, it makes it less convenient. So it's not inaccessible. It's just less convenient. Um, and so you, it kind of tricks your mind into, uh, I don't want to do that or I can't do that today. And so you end up being solving the problem in other creative ways. And then if your car breaks down, then you have that money. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's more of an emergency. And I mean, that's you know, that's up to the to the individual that's saving the money. It's their money. They should spend it on how they want. But but keeping it for an actual emergency that's going to cripple your ability to kind of sustain your own life, that's kind of what an emergency fund is for. Um, so if sense. you know you need tires, you can start saving for that. Mm-hmm which is my least favorite thing
0: to spend money on, but <laughs> tires. So, so yeah, I, Kara, I agree with you about what, so whenever you're, especially whenever you're in poverty and you need to save up for something, you know, and you need a high dollar ticket item, uh, I, I, I see how it would be more useful and more beneficial to save up for it, put that money aside, put a little bit aside. And, instead of getting that on credit, especially if you don't, if you're not entirely sure that that thing that you're going to be getting on credit is even going to produce extra income. And so yeah. like, if it's not going to produce extra income, then maybe perhaps you should save up for it. But one of the things that I'm curious about is, wouldn't it, I want to play devil's advocate, advocate yeah. here. If if someone's in poverty, should their focus be more on saving money or increasing what they earned?
1: So there's, so there's two, the, both, which is challenging, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to think about like single parents, because single parents, it's, the challenge is that time is not on their side. They just don't have time or energy, honestly, because they're already doing, scrambling um, everything from fear, right? In that fear mindset, which just sucks out all of your energy. I mean, it can deplete you of vitamins and nutrients in your body um, because you're in freakout mode all the time. And so, Um, and another thing too, is that a lot of most, I would say probably most people who are in poverty don't have access to credit. And so putting things on credit is not really an option or unless they go to a predatory lender or something like that. And that is, it is the, it just almost makes me cry because it's such a, it should be illegal. Honestly, it's so horrible. It's such a horrible practice. Um, it's a, you know, it's predatory. So. (laughs) Um, I think that, but here's something to keep in mind. a dollar saved is worth more than a dollar earned. and the reason is because you've already paid taxes on it. <clears throat> so if you are earning taxed money um, then and you're trying to increase your your taxed taxable income, Um, then saving the money that you already have in your pocket is worth more because it's already taxed and you've already got it. So that dollar is not being taxed again. With that said, um, people who are um, low income, you know, historically are less likely to ask for raises at work because they also, again, they're in that cycle of, of working and trying and, you know kids at school and their time and their energy is just sapped away at every moment um, and so having the mental capacity to even even think about um saving is is a challenge so But I'll tell you a story really quick about my favorite client that I ever had. She was a finance client. I used to um, work at Goodwill Central Texas. They hired me to create a financial empowerment program that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau had given them a grant. And so they wanted me to come in and create this program. And I did. And it was great. Uh, But my favorite client was um, this woman. She had five boys she worked for the county. She did not have a high school education. And she was um uh, making like I think she was making thirty-two thousand dollars a year with five kids in Austin. Oh Austin
0: is an expensive place.
1: <laughs> Do you live in Austin? I don't know where y'all oh, are
0: located. Yeah, I'm in Maryland right now, but but we've been to Austin on and off. <laughs> we went to Austin the beginning of this year and at the beginning of the last year, so we go there every year. Okay. So, well,
1: when you come so... into town, we'll have to have lunch. Um but yeah, so she was making very little money. And so she came to me and she was distraught. Of course, she's like I don't know how to take care of my kids. I'm freaking out. And so I was able to help her there are different programs where you can put money into an account and then the account is matched by different organizations. And sometimes those organizations it can be it can be matched times 5, right? So oh, wow. if you like Ford does it and some other pretty large companies, banks will do it sometimes too, but it has to be for a specific thing. So she was going to do it for her first child's college fund. And so she, what she, cause she didn't have, she didn't, she had $0 to put into that account, you know? But we set her up with it and she all she had to do was put some money into it. So the counts work in different ways. Sometimes it's, you have to put X number of dollars every month. Sometimes it's, you just have to put something in every month, but this was a, a something every month and she was able to put in, I don't remember exactly what the dollar amount was because this was years ago, but she was able to put some in um, every month by working um, side hustle work. So she was working for cash. And um, she just found some stuff to do. She, she made the boys do some work, you know, and then that, mm. their money, they would get half of it and then half of it went into this fund. And so by kind of as a family group, them all working together and doing cash jobs, mowing lawns or babysitting, whatever, um, she was able to put it into this thing. Well, then at the end of the year, because she had five kids and she was very low income, then she got this massive um, tax return. Right. And she, Mm -hmm. we talked about it because she needed that money, obviously. So, but at the end of the year, she was able to put half of her tax return in there. And then that was matched times five. And so it was amazing. And she was able to pay for her first child, all of his college, at full price like she was able she had the money to pay for all of it and so it was such a celebratory moment you know i mean because she had she went from having no money for food so that was another thing too she started going to food banks and saving her money that she had budgeted for food going to the food banks once a week you know she's got five kids so they gave they plenty you know what i mean they're just like showering her with groceries because they're like oh my gosh this woman has all these kids and she makes no money. Um, how is she supporting them? And so there's accessing resources helps. Um, and so, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what your, I don't remember what
0: your question was. Okay. So, so yeah, well, that's fine. I love that um,
1: story. It's one of my favorite yeah, ones. It,
0: it is a great story. It, but, but yeah, so the question, the question was, um, so whenever you're saying, cause like, Eight years ago, I remember I was I was sleeping on my little sister's floor and I had like nowhere to go. And I was like, man. And I remember we were going to like the local save a lot and we had like a seventeen dollar budget for our groceries for like the whole whatever the period of time was two weeks till she got her next paycheck. I didn't have any money coming in. And so and so I was thinking about like that time there and then coming out of that. Mm-hmm. And how there's, there was so little money to be saved that, that whenever I think of people in poverty and saving up money, to me, the first thing that comes to mind is, why would you try to save up money because you don't have any money to begin with? The for the thing that, that I would wonder is, why why would they not spend all of that money on themselves if they do have, uh, and, and I don't mean on frivolous things by any stretch of the imagination, I mean like, yes on on things like you said where you you structure things into values and you say well here's what i need to get out and so you get those as soon as possible to help you be able to earn more income Um, Mm -hmm. because like if you have 250 dollars uh that's not gonna um like saving up a little bit of that isn't i don't really know how much that's going to help you i feel like it'd be best to be just be spent on something be spent on a a a suit that's going to get you a job interview be spent on um the uber ride to the interview or something like that you know um so that's that's what i was wondering is um whenever people are are in this these positions of poverty um and they're how how are they supposed to be saving up if they don't have a lot of money to begin with anyways
1: yeah so there's is accessing resources i guess is the the short answer to that finding those resources, most, most places in the U S even in rural areas will have a food bank, for example. So the $12 that you had for, um, food could be saved. And, and the reason why saving is important in those times, I feel like people who are low income, um, saving is more important for them because like I said before, they don't, typically have access to credit and Mm -hmm. so and any credit that they do have access to is just going to dig that hole even deeper to where they just can't get out of it at all so you mean
0: if they're paying interest on that (sighs) mm -hmm.
1: egregious interest rates i mean just like i said it should be illegal but capitalism so um So saving is important, but even if you're saving a little bit, so even if you're saving, so say you've got your $12 grocery thing and you go to the food bank instead of, of spending the $12 on groceries, food banks are great. They're one of my favorite resources because they're the most accessible. You go in and they go, how many people live in your house? And you go two and they go, great, this is what you get. And then you go no questions asked. I mean, they, they usually track like who's coming in because they want you to come in twice a month instead of like every single day. Um, but you can hit up multiple food banks. They don't keep track amongst each other. You know what I mean? They don't share that information necessarily. I mean, and I'm not saying that to have people abuse that I'm saying that if it's not enough from one, you can get it from another and, and continue to do that. And that, I love them because they have good food. They have healthy food. They have tons of food because part of their mission is to reduce food waste right in the US, which is a massive problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the Austin Food Bank is I mean, they just had to expand this giant warehouse because they have so much food. So. Saving, the reason why it's important to save when you are extreme low income is because emergencies happen all the time. Most people who are low income don't drive nice cars, so their car is going to break down. It's very expensive to to get that fixed. Um, they Maybe they need new tires. Maybe it's because one of them blew out, and so it is an emergency now. And so being able to save, even if it's $20, is going to give you gas money to get to you know, the place, if you are, here's a, a tricky thing with low income situations as well, is that childcare is astronomical and it is one of the largest barriers to escaping poverty is that childcare is just too expensive. Um, and of course now access to birth control and things like that is starting to get tighter and tighter, which makes it, um, I'm not going to go on, on that <laughs> tangent, but it's it makes it more difficult as well. And it, it impacts people who are low income at a much higher rate than people who have come from a family of means. And so saving money is, is really important. And there are ways. So... With childcare, it's tricky because there's yes, there's grant money and things like that out there, but it, they're incredibly difficult to access because so many people need them so desperately. Um, and and low income childcare is probably not where you want your kids to be. Uh, so, it's. There are ways, as far as like you were saying, like having some kind of side hustle and bringing in some more money or asking for a raise at your work, doing what you have to do. My favorite client, for example, she and I worked to get her GED because she would get a raise if she got her GED. So she was able to get that. And then she ended up going on to like doing some training with the state um, in order to move into like a supervisory role and things like that. So um I'm sorry, with the county. And so there are some things you can do, but those are long-term, right? And when you're kind of in a situation of crisis or, and when you live in, in a low-income existence, then it, it's every day is a crisis or a potential crisis just around the corner and, and they happen all the time. And so it's hard to to continue to move forward, but saving that, that $1 a month will still add up right? Even if it, I know that's like $12 a year, so that's nothing, but it's still, what ends up happening is that people end up digging out the change from their car or, you know what I mean? And and moving that um, into that account, but also transportation. Like you said, Ubers are very expensive and some places don't have public transportation. And so um, I don't, there's, I don't know what the what the answer to that is unless you have a neighbor or that you could mm-hmm. give them $5 or, you know, something, $20 to take you. Um, um, and that just, that doesn't always exist. And so that, that is a tricky one for sure.
0: Yeah. It, it sounds like though that, that what is happening whenever the people are saving up is that they're learning to they're building the habit mm-hmm. of, of taking control of their finances. And they're also building, slowly but it's like they're building a bigger cushion a landing yeah. pad of of whenever emergencies happen whenever things happen and then hopefully eventually be able to uh you know transcend out of poverty in its entirety um
1: yeah and there's other i mean saving saving money is probably not going to help you transition out of poverty but it is an important place to start because i think when you're putting some money into a savings, you're paying yourself as well. So I think people who are working and striving to get to a better place in their lives, paying themselves is also a reinforcer to feel good about it, um, to to reinforce that good that good habit. And it's it's tough. It's tough when you're beat down every day of your life since the day you were born. It's
0: it's a challenge. So. How much should people save like how how much like should they go for a percentage or um how much should they save when they're starting off
1: um i would say just establishing the behavior is really the most important part it's less about how much you're putting in there if and i think that it depends on how much you're making and what your cost of living is i i get really irritated when i hear People who are finance gurus and they're like, oh, you need to save 30% of your income. Well, I don't know very many people who can save 30% of their income or, you know, even 10%. So being able to, to save some money is, is going to also help you with credit as well. So say you, you have a bank account that you've been putting your dollar in every other week when you get paid. Well, that bank sees that activity and so when you do that the bank sees that every friday at 10 a.m you're there to put your dollar in you know or, or every other friday or whatever it is and so they see that and they track it and so that helps you kind of build a reputation with the finance industry with a financial institution um, yeah <laughs> and so and so that helps as well but but i, I don't think that a percentage of to say, you need to save this much. I think it's, it's what your goals are. Do you want to, even people who I have a client who makes a lot of money and he, when I first came to him, he didn't know where his money was going. And he was like, I make all this money and I don't know, I don't know what happens to it. It's just sitting in the bank, or maybe it's going here. I really don't know. And so for him, even it was, it was a challenge of where, what do i do with it um for him it was less a life-saving situation but but still that that seems a shame to have a lot of money coming in and not know where it's going and so now he he donates some of it which is nice um and he also has put it in places so it depends on you know your goals but and, and as they change, right, you might be saving for your child to go to college and then that is fully funded. Well, you don't have to put your money there anymore. So maybe, or maybe you need a car or maybe you just want a car and you have the money for it. Um, then do that. But I always, for people who, who have, are making a decent wage and that that's whatever that means to them personally, Mm -hmm. I always try to encourage people to donate a little bit, even if it's, even if it's your dollar that you would be putting into a savings account ten years ago, or five years ago, or even last year, um, to to maybe save that and donate it at the end of the year instead of um, if you if you find that you don't need it and you're you're blessed enough to be in that situation, or you've worked hard enough to have gotten there, then um, to donate it. But yeah, I don't know. A percentage is a slippery slope, a tricky. Okay. So let's go from <laughs> the
0: yeah that's fine let's go from the individual to the business to like the business owner slash business now and so like but i want to go on the topic of saving just like with maybe one or two more questions um uh so i'm wondering about with like businesses is it businesses in specific um that how would a dollar saved be worth more than a dollar earned if you're in a business and the reason for asking that is because i was wondering If a business has a cash reserve but Mm -hmm. then they have assets that they need or like they like say for example oh my business needs a forklift and i have the amount of money for that forklift saving my bank account wouldn't that money be so much more worthwhile for that business if they just own the forklift because the money can't lift all of that heavy material and move it from one side of the warehouse to the other but the forklift can't so that's what i was wondering is um um why. Like Apple obviously has you know a ridiculous amount of cash reserves, but they also have all the assets that they, that they, you know, currently need all of the capital, all the re all the building requirements that they need to keep their infrastructure up. And so whenever, whenever businesses are starting off, um, why would they want to save as opposed to reinvest everything into the business?
1: So with a business there's so there's two there's two pieces to that so you don't want to spend down all of your cash reserve because that shows on your books that it'll show a deficit so if you can avoid doing that that's important. Depending on, and again, that also depends on what your goals are or, or how you're going to need to access money later in the future. So if you're going to sell your business, you don't want to you don't want to show a deficit. If you want to get a loan at some point, you don't want to show a deficit. So if you have that cash reserve and you need a forklift, then. I would recommend trying to get a loan to get the forklift because that also is increasing your business's worth and value Mm. through how much credit you have your business, right? Not you as an individual. Um, and so that, and then you're not showing a deficit in your books as well. And then, like you said, that forklift is making you money with a business. It's a little bit different because again, you're trying to increase the value of your business. So Putting money back in, I mean, when you, when you put all the money back into your business, it's not really all going back into your business. It's going to your payroll. It's going to, so, and that's all part of the business, but it, it's not just about like um, things that are, well, so I want to, I want to, I guess, give some caution to being sure in your business that what you're paying out is is making you money is generating money even if it's personnel is your personnel making money for you how are they if it's an assistant say you're getting a virtual assistant is that virtual assistant um is he is he alleviate like taking up some of the time that that the salesperson would be spending doing um things and is that salesperson able to make the money, maybe not in the first couple of months, but are you showing a trajectory where that salesperson at the end of this year is going to be making enough, bringing that money back in to pay for that virtual assistant, as well as then some, you know what I mean? So being able to map all that out. And I think with businesses, that's where people They're just like, oh, I just don't want to think about that. Or, you know, this is what I need because I need, because I'm overwhelmed with work. So totally understandable. There's other ways to manage time and manage workload um, that don't always include buying more things or bringing more things into your company. So any revenue um, or profit, so profit definitely should go back into your business but but putting some of that into a savings account is important so being sure you pay all your bills and then whatever you have left taking part of that and um and having it for a savings account um but i mean ultimately all of it will have to to be saved even if it's in like a cash reserve um mm-hmm. then that this is your cash reserve piece this is your saving for you know whatever you might need but again having the cash on hand in a bank is is going to be more valuable to your company and so if you need to buy something especially a large piece of equipment that for 100 is going to is going to make money for you then i would say using credit is going to be a better thing even if at first the the interest rate is not good um mm-hmm. it's still going to benefit your business to go ahead with that because you're building credit and it'll get
0: better. So w- when you say the deficit, like you don't want your business to be in a deficit, what mm-hmm. exactly do you mean?
1: Well, you don't. So if you have, um, if you have, if you if you're running a business and your operating cost is exactly what you're bringing in, then then that is <clears throat> that's that's going to show high risk. Uh, to an investor it's going to show high risk to a lender it's going to show and if somebody wants to come in and purchase your company then Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to want to do it because it's not showing that it's making money you want to show a large margin an increasing margin of profit each each quarter um, or Mm -hmm. however you're tracking it and and even if you want to keep the company um, for life and pass it down to your kids. You want to continue to show that now that's not always going to happen, right? Because businesses, you know, ebb and flow. There's some of it is seasonal. Like you're saying, if you do construction, um, so it's, it's a, that makes it a challenge, but, um, but you want to, the, the goal would be to, to try and can, and show a continual growth, even if it's mm-hmm. a little bit, um, just just continual growth is important and having having the um the cash is important having the the, a longer runway um is Mm -hmm. is important for especially for investors investors look for that as a big piece the growth the runway the leadership is something that they look at what you know does your leadership have experience um with with growing businesses and and exiting them um mm-hmm. things
0: like that. Okay, so I'm an artist, so I'm far from a business expert. So anybody listening to this, don't take my advice on this at all. But, but I wanted to tell you uh, about how like, I approach it with the deficit, because I usually operate at like, at the end of the year, whenever we have, like, whatever the profits are, we in- reinvest everything back. And sometimes we'll do that multiple times a year where we'll take the business down to zero but and the the reason behind that would be is because that money reinvested compound interest over time in a way that it can't compound interest in any sort of thing because it allows the business to expand and so like for example like whenever we go down to Austin Texas at the beginning of this year I think it was like eight thousand dollars I took and that was like the last little bit of money that I had left over and I went and booked an, Airbnb, I booked an Airbnb down in Austin, Texas for two months. And that was like pretty much all the money. And then I took the rest of the money and I hired a friend to come down and help make phone calls. And we went down there, we made phone calls and we ended up get, but we ended up getting 10 deals, 10 mural deals and that $8,000 that we had spent, which took us down to zero ended us bringing up, bringing in like around like 20,000 like a little over 20,000 in revenue in the like in the first like month and a half of the year and so I was like and so doing things like that like but the only reason I had done that in the first place was not just like oh I'm spending all the last money on a vacation like we we knew exactly what it is that we were trying to go for what it is that we were trying to do how much we were trying to charge for it who our target uh market was and all that. so we I mean we we knew what we were looking for but also we did take the risk of like going broke and just like going down there just off of like um we didn't really have too much of a strategy but we've done this multiple times uh we did it uh down in austin the year before and we did it down in miami right before we went to austin and so we do that a lot but but for me i think that reinvesting all of that money and taking the business back down to zero like especially if it's like if it's something that you're not looking to sell right and it's something that that you don't necessarily like like yeah, you could get like loans and stuff, but there's not necessarily anything like right now that you need a loan for. Like that's what one of the things that that we always do is like, man, there's stuff that we need that I would rather have. I would rather have that new laptop so I could edit the YouTube video faster and get that up than to have two thousand in the bank because that two thousand is gonna not be worth anything if it's just sitting there, as opposed to like if I'm here and I could get the video edited in half the time and it'll save me lots of time over the over the years. And so what like i'm guessing that doesn't apply to to most people though because most people aren't like working with such a small team with businesses like you know you like it's always under five people on on the team like i've never worked with like more than five people in in this business at once and also i have no plans of like selling it because it's a very individual thing um but so that's what i was wondering about like reinvesting it all about how like um do you think that that could ever be useful for a larger business is, is for someone just to like, Hey, at the end of the year, we could take, cause also at the end of the year, then you don't pay taxes on it. If you're at a loss. So like if you, if you spend, if you may earned a hundred thousand and then at the end of the year, you said, Oh man, we have 60,000 profit that we made, but you send, spend 60 grand on, on tax deductible items that help increase your business. I think those items are going to be a lot more useful to the business than the cash reserve. And that's what yeah. I'm wondering, wouldn't those items be more use, useful to, to a startup business than the cash reserve?
1: It depends on what their goal is, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for sure. So investing your money, like you it seems like with this, the strategy that you're, that you're working, that you have created and, and, mm-hmm. and are doing working, then I think that, that that makes a lot of sense i mean that is really smart but you have a strategy for it right so you are putting it toward things that are directly going to bring you money in so yes in that case for sure and you're not trying to sell the business 100 percent. and honestly with you doing things like that um and having that model where you are throwing down a chunk but then it's doubling and and continuing to kind of work that system like that then you probably and it's a it's a large chunk of money coming back to you then it's not i mean you probably will not come into a situation i'm not sure what exactly the product is or, or what how much it costs you to produce it or what it
0: you know you're it's a we do murals so it's it's actually oh, okay. the, the profit it's got a very nice profit margin on it i mean yes. like Like they have the cost of supplies. Like if you use good supplies, it can get up there. And sometimes people, you know, like they'll expect it us to be able to do a mural for less than the cost of supplies. And we'll tell them like, yo, this paint is anywhere from 80 to $150 a gallon. We use the best of the best. And they're like, Oh wow. Okay. never mind. I don't want a mural. Um, But then other people, you know, it's like once they could get past all that and they, and they see the portfolio and they're like, you know, like I just want the best of the best. And then that's, like, that's the people we look for, the people who just want, like, tip-top quality, like, absolute amazing stuff that's going to, like, look good for decades. And then so, and then usually those people are in a position where it's like they don't really bat an eye at the price. They're like, let's go. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, I mean, just like you said with your computer as well, I mean, those things are all investments in growth. So yes. Um, and I think with your business model, yes, I think taking it back down to zero, especially um, closer to the end of the year, yeah. <laughs> but it's tax time, I think is really smart, you know, but you're not looking to, you're, you're probably not going to need a loan for anything because um, you're not needing a forklift. You're not needing um, large equipment. So I think in a lot of ways, it depends I think for a large company, that where the problem would come in is: do they have um, members of an advisory committee? Do they mm. have? Are they are they a publicly traded company? Those types of things. So, who who is their leadership that that they are accountable to, and what and is that leadership looking at their profit? in order to make money so if that's the case then for them no you know that's not even an option at all because then they're in a lot of trouble with the people who are trying to make money from them but yeah so i think that's really the the question is are there outsiders who are making money from your company um are who are you accountable to so it sounds like you are accountable to you and maybe five other people or four other people and y'all are kind of all working together as like a team in a partnership so i mean that that's amazing and honestly that's probably the best kind of business model because not not going into debt i'm not a fan of debt i i see that it has its its purposes but um it's not my favorite thing and um i always for me personally, if I can, and even with my business, if I can stay out of debt, that's usually what I want to do. I don't want to um, to go into debt. But with that said, I don't have any massive costs or, um, you know, my overhead is pretty low because I provide a service. But um, that's, but then I know a lot of people who do construction and they need, I mean, their overhead is insane. insane. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like. I mean it just makes me kind of my brain hurt where I'm like, uh and sometimes their return is amazing and sometimes it's not, and a lot of times it's seasonal and that just <laughs> that terrifies me. Like <laughs> I'd be so bold. But then that's not my trade either. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, so I could think for a bigger business I think it just depends on who, who's who they're held accountable to and um but but I love it for your business. I love it for solopreneurs um for anybody who's having to pay their own taxes at the end of the year for sure 100% if you're not looking to sell you're not going to need a loan then yeah
0: perfect yeah. amazing even. I wouldn't recommend it to any artist though who's who's like not sure who hasn't doesn't have experience cold calls because that would be kind of dumb to spend all your money and go down and then get rejected the first 100 cold calls and then give up and then you're you know then your money's gone so you got to have like the right mindset going into it but so i want to talk about strategy though and i want to yeah. talk about like because i mean i don't really see myself as a very good strategist i kind of just go off of a lot of intuition and like a lot of like hunches and gut instincts and and, and ideas and so like i'm a very scattered brain sort of creative and i usually i'm working on a whole bunch of different projects at once so you know i want to talk about like how th- How do people simplify strategies? How do you get it to where it's like, first off, why is strategy so important? And then how do you build a strategy to like bring an idea to life?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to disagree with you about you not being a great strategist. I don't know you very well, but it sounds (laughs) like you have a great strategy for making money. So I think that. Um, and as artists, I think it's really challenging for artists to make money and survive on, on their trade. And it's it sucks because art enhances our lives in a way that is incredibly important. Um, but it's hard for people to, to value it uh, in the moment, right? Especially if they don't have a lot of money. Uh, but... Um, so I think that strategy, one way that the, the biggest, most simple way to, to have a strategy is to m- just make it as simple as possible. Ev- everything can be overwhelming when you have an idea and you, you have things you want. For me, I like to say that when people are like, Oh, what do you do? I say, I do all the things that creatives hate doing <laughs> for their <laughs> business. <laughs> so Um, I think that just taking your plan, say, I want to, I want to have a gallery show, right? Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my plan. Um, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to make money on it. Sitting down and saying, okay, gallery show here. Let's backtrack. You know, how, what do you need? How can you find the gallery? You know, what do you, and then going back, what kind of art is this gallery that you want to go to going to want to see in their in their space is it a women-owned space is it a, a you know minority-owned space is it who lives in the neighborhood kind of doing a little bit of that of that market research and it doesn't have to be intense it can just be look open your eyes or you know go to the neighborhood and look to see who's living there what are they going to be interested in how much is the gallery charging do they sell or is it just on display if it's just on display does the gallery pay for that um how do they find you so so creating a a a strategy that would start at the very smallest piece so so going down to the very smallest, low hanging fruit. Um, I'm trying to think of of some things that I've done recently, but it would be what is going to bring start bringing money in um, the the quickest, the easiest, the cheapest. So with a with art, it's challenging because art. Is the very end, right? Kind of similar, I guess, to construction in some ways, because you typically don't get paid until the end, unless you are somebody asks you to do something for them specifically. I mean, maybe doing murals, you might get some up front, mm-hmm. um, but but um, starting with the very smallest piece and making sure that that you set phases for it. Um, if you want to grow a business. I'm setting a phase for that to say, this is where I'm starting. This is the product. This is the low hanging fruit. I'm going to, I'm going to create jewelry, right? Uh, Before I get to the gallery, uh, I need to create some awareness around my product. So I'm going to start creating jewelry. I'm going to go to festivals and just, you know, sell jewelry at this concert or at this festival. And then, you know, and all I'm going to do is I'm just going to get some wire. I'm just going to wrap some, you know, cheap stones that i found on the ground and i'm going to sell them for two dollars a piece or whatever getting that kind of momentum and and being able to start bringing in some money so that you can sustain your own life while you're trying to grow and then say okay at what point do i move to the next phase and that i think is a really important part What's the trigger that's going to tell me that I'm ready for this next, this next piece and the next phase of growth? Is it going to be a dollar amount? Is it a timeline? Um And that all depends on who, again, what kind of business it is, who it is. I try to, when I'm working with people, I try to be very sure that I'm, that I'm speaking to them and, and that we are making benchmarks that make sense to them because it doesn't matter about me or what what I think, um, it, it matters what's achievable to them. So is it, again, some people hate time. They just don't work well with timeline or they don't want to think about money. Um, so what is it? Is it after I've done 50 necklaces and sold 50 necklaces, then I move on to ankle bracelets, you know, then I'll have, ankle bracelets and necklaces and then once i sold 50 of those you know and moving on in that way so so creating a benchmark for when you move to the next step having those steps build on each other to reach that gallery goal so how are So, once you have a, a line of jewelry that you've been selling for the last month at all these different festivals, you know, how are you going to, how is that going to get you to the gallery? So, are you passing out cards to people to say, this is me, this is what I do. I'm also a painter or I'm also a sculptor. Um, and this is my art. And, and I have a few pictures, um, that you can see on my Instagram. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing so passing that out and getting that word out so making sure that each of your goals and each benchmark takes you closer and closer and closer to that end goal and i think that's a part that that people are challenged with and making sure that each of those are bringing in money right so that you're able to survive and sustain life on the journey um it's not just about fun it's it's about it's about living your dream and and having that be your life and creating a life that you want and that you love so
0: yeah so it sounds like for the big for strategy for big goals stuff that maybe seem a little lofty maybe seem far off Mm -hmm. that breaking it down into milestones that way Mm -hmm. you still have a a way to track your progress and growth if i want to lift 300 pounds and now all i could do now is three and I keep measuring, oh, I'm not hitting 300, I'm not hitting 300, I'm not hitting 300, I'm gonna feel like a failure. But if it's like, hey, I went from three to to nine, to 18, to 25, now I have these milestones to where now I have something to work towards. And then there's a win each step of the way. And that's kind of what it sounds like to me is that like, it's a good idea to create the milestones.
1: Totally. Totally. And celebrate those wins along the way, even if they're small, even if I picked up two instead of 300, um, celebrate the fact that you, that you picked up the two and be sure that, you know, each be sure that you're whittling away at the bigger goal. I think sometimes people get caught in the weeds at the smaller goals and then they like get distracted and kind of lose track of where they're going. So having it written down and then, ticking it off every time you reach one of those milestones and being like, yay, have a little celebration and then go to the next one is helps you again, behavior modification, um, helps with that. Uh, it's just about reinforcing the behaviors and um, that, that are leading you to, to the life that you want.
0: So Roman field enterprise consulting, um, you said that you're not a coaching firm, but more right. of like a services and consulting. What's the difference between coaching and consulting?
1: So consulting, so coaching is more about, is kind of like getting into the feelings. And I do do some of that because money and people usually go into a business. It's usually their heart and their their love and their passion so uh feelings happen as in that space as well as finance but i think coaching coaching is a lot of behavior modification it's it's they don't provide services and they are not they're not with you while you're doing stuff they're they're there as like a mentor an advisor kind of kind of thing but for me i am with my clients the whole way they don't Something I like to tell them is that you're not alone. I'm here with you. I'm available. I'm accessible. And if you have something going on, then we're going to do it and we're going to do it together. I think entrepreneurs also are alone, like they're very solo and isolated a lot. And so having somebody that they can call and kind of talk shop with um, and just explore ideas, uh, if they're struggling with their business plan or market research is, is a challenge that most people don't like to do especially creatives do not like to do market research because it's boring, I guess. Um, but being able to, to help and say, oh, okay, let's do this or let's do that. And then if they don't want to do it, I'll do it for them as a service. And so um, just having some options. So coaching would be more just, this is what you do mm-hmm. and
0: go. So, and then you're currently enrolling people for a business business a business plan group workshop what is that yes.
1: so that is a group workshop where we get together provide a community of people who are doing the same thing for various businesses and various business models but we will go through it piece by piece so going through um again the market research piece sharing ideas identifying who your target, I hate target, but your ideal client would be um and and maybe you don't know. I think a lot of people are like, oh I don't I don't really know who would want this service or this product that I have. So having a group of other people going, oh I think this person would like it or oh You know, my mom might really like something like that or um, and so having other ideas and a group of people that you can bounce those ideas off of. Everybody's learning the same things at the same time. The great thing about the group is that it is less expensive than if I did it for you. And, um, there's, we're meeting consistently, uh, once a week and everybody has homework assignments and then we come back together and we talk about it and having more people to give more ideas and, and also support. And then they connect outside of the group as well. And, you know, hopefully make some lifelong
0: friendships as well. Is is this online or is this in Austin? How do people register? It's online. Okay. Is there a place where people could go to register? Um,
1: can register on my website.
0: Okay. And then what's the website? Romanfield.com. Romanfield.com. And then if, if anybody wants to keep up with you and what you're doing, what's the best way for them to follow you?
1: Um, So I am just now actually um, starting to do an Instagram uh, okay. account and also LinkedIn and then I've not done Twitter in the past. I know that's also very aging, but um, I was told by my my marketing person recently that that um, I need to do Twitter. And so I'm going to start doing that. But for now, Instagram and LinkedIn are both good places to follow,
0: uh, follow my progress. And my okay, business. and what's your Instagram and Twitter handle for everybody listening?
1: Okay, let me look really quick. I'm sorry. <laughs> See? See how awful it is? Um, <laughs> let me see here. Is I should have had that. I should okay, have, that I might
0: p- have it in the show notes here. Let me see. Okay, I, I think I have it here. Okay, yeah. Um, Instagram.com slash Kara underscore Noel. One does that sound no, right? That is not that's not the one? one, yeah. Oh, okay. How about was it Roman Field Consulting?
1: Yes, okay. Instagram. That's the Instagram, yeah. Slash Roman Field Consulting,
0: Roman Field Consulting. And then the Twitter is twitter.com slash Kara Countryman. Yes. And that's Kara with a K. We'll have that. Your name is spelled into the title of the video anyway, so I don't know why I'm spelling it for people here. Okay. <laughs> well, Kara, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, all these things about business. I learned a lot. I appreciate it. Thank that's you so good. much for coming on. Yes, and, uh, thank you. we'll have to link up next time I'm back down in Austin.
1: I would love that.
0: All right. It was great meeting you. All you right. You too. See you later, everybody.
1: Bye.